But when I say we've come to the limits of the planet, I actually think about climate crisis. So we are heading right into a climate crisis in about a decade or so, which will evoke an uh, unstoppable chain of events that could be catastrophic to mankind. And to avoid this, we need to mitigate um, emissions dramatically. And food is right up there, right after energy, I think, and the technology transformation needed to make this happen without adversely affecting our way of life. This podcast is powered by iomops.io. Optimize your cloud infrastructure and CICD process with iomops.io dedicated DevOps team. Check out www.iomops.io and get a DevOps team now. Welcome to our series entitled The IM Podcast, a podcast about innovation, business, and most importantly, people. In this series, we'll be talking to founders, executives, and various experts about their vision, challenges, best practices, and lessons learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the I Am Podcast. I am Raya, your host, and today with me is the co-founder and the CEO at Mermaid Seafoods, Danielle Einhorn. Hello, Danielle. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Well, it's been raining. How about in Israel? Blistering hot. Blistering hot. <laughs> how is everyone at Mermaid Seafoods? Uh, we're doing uh, great, really great. Everything is uh, better than planned. So that's uh, always a good place to be as a startup. Really busy. Like, I. I saw on your LinkedIn like you're really hiring, you know, scientists and researchers. So before we go deep dive into the product, so tell us a bit more about you, your personal, your career and your expertise. Sure. All right. Um, Daniel Einhorn, I'm 32. I have a master's in business administration. I did both my degrees in uh, Israel where the company is located. Um, early on in my in my um, career, I was a naval officer here in Israel for about seven years. I have thousands of hours at sea. This is really where I draw my uh, inspiration and motivation for the company. Um, I just love the sea, so that was just the starting point. Actually, don't don't miss the missile ship so much. <laughs> I do miss sailing, and I so I sail all the time. Sailboats, leisure. <laughs> the Mediterranean mostly really like it I also scuba dive a bit and I swim and if I swim I swim only at sea I don't swim at pools <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah I really just uh, whenever I'm 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 in there I'm in the water I feel that it's definitely the cradle of life there's something so lively about that scent and feel even though it's salty I don't know somehow I feel I feel that it's very important and we're, see, we're seeing what's happening to our seas, so um, that's what gives me the motivation to keep on going. Uh, and after that, I established and was co-founder of a, um, of an, uh, in a, like a venture studio in Israel called Tech7. Um, so I co-founded it uh, and I was the CEO over there for a few years. Um, the organization did very well. And one year ago, I uh, decided to move on, appoint a new CEO to the organization. I now sit on the board and I, I use all of my time to be the CEO of Mermaid Seafoods. 
Interesting. We had Yatam Zucker here. Tech 7, yeah, right? Yeah, I think I saw the... Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So yeah, it's, you know what? I'll, I'll actually touch on that. <laughs> Obviously, we're very good friends. He's chairman of the board. Um, we started out... I kind of joined him very early on at the, at the mission in Tech 7. I think that's what's really special about Tech 7 is that all of the founding team and all of the staff over the years that were working there all have become either entrepreneurs usually the founders of the of the of the of tech 7 became entrepreneurs and the staff is somewhere in the high tech scene in israel now about a hundred alumni working all over israel so it's just amazing taking mm-hmm. part in that so yeah yotam is an amazing guy super inspirational my mentor for a few years there when i kind of taught me a lot and now we're on our different ways uh, each a startup yes Yes, both CEOs of startups. Hello, Yatam, if you're listening. Okay, so <laughs> yes, you love the sea, you love sailing, uh, the sea is salty, it's the cradle of life. So what happened? Take us through the first conversation. Who did you approach? How did the <coughs> idea come about? Uh, sure. Um, well, first of all, I was lucky enough to be the last co-founder to join the company. Uh, so the other co-founders formed the idea and kind of found me. Oh. Um, I guess I was in the right time, right place. I do have to say for myself that I immediately recognized how important this idea was. And then the only left, the only question left was um, the dynamics and chemistry between me and my co-founders, which is was and still is great. So it was a no-brainer for me to, to just stop whatever I'm doing and start building this company. Um, for me, it was an easy choice, but I do want to say for listeners, uh, just, you know, expectations for everyone starting out and stuff like that. We were unemployed for about nine months uh, before raising our first dollar, uh, working full time on the company. So I'm saying, you know, it came with a price, but I was never uh, afraid. You know, I knew I knew that it's going to it's going to succeed and it will just take time. Uh, and I'm very happy with that. Okay, you were unemployed for nine months, so that's your bootstrapping. So how's every day back then? Yeah, how's it like? For me, a normal day in business, <laughs> because uh, in spirit, I I was always like this. I really like building stuff. Um, I, I it, it always comes with the amazing dedication, and and some kind of price, either personal life, obviously time, uh, a lot of um, in, in insecurity where you, you know, you don't know uh, what's going to be your next day. So for me, I love it. <laughs> but that was what it's like. I mean, we work, we, we were working from home it was COVID time. Yeah. Um, we didn't pay for an office. We were just working from home, um, building whatever foundations the company needed, you know, plans, fundraising, um, what, what it's going to be like. And it actually tur- turned out um, oh, turned out good that when once we got our funding, we were really right on track very, very fast. I, I'm not sure, I'd, in terms of like other startups, I'm not sure how many startups could have uh, get onto this kind of deep R&D. Uh, so fast, almost immediately. Amazing. Okay, so yes, please 
talk to us about the pain point. How big is the pain point? Um, in the recent years, right? Like companies are developing this um, plant-based things. So how big is that pain point? All right, sure, of course. Well, first of all, just to uh, make sure um, we're not a plant-based company, we're a cell-based company, just to make sure so. But generally speaking, here's uh, there's a few different perspectives I like to, to explain this problem. Um, and the most basic one and the most actually, I think it's like from the highest altitude describing this, is that, um, you know, whenever you have an organism living in some system, right, in some ecosystem, and they're thriving, then you use the resources available until you get to a certain point where you can't know more, and then usually that population declines or even worse. And what's special about human beings in general is that we've managed to find a, a loophole in this, in this condition where we can make more out of the same resources using technology which is something unique to humans. I mean, we've done this over and over again. The most important two, I guess, were the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution. But basically, ever since 10,000 years ago from the agricultural revolution, we've been growing food and, and protein and definitely animal protein in roughly the same way. And that worked out well to about the size that we are right now, 8 billion people uh, going to about 10 billion people by 2050. But we are, we, you know, we are humans, we are clever, and we've managed to really get to that threshold where the planet itself is that ecosystem I was describing, and there's just no more with the same uh, technology. So I see cell-based as, again, this agricultural revolution where we'll be able to use the same resources, but create maybe tenfold or even hundredfold more food out of the same resources, and that's a necessity. But I do wanna highlight just two main points about this. I was uh, de uh, describing it in a very food security context. So that is definitely a problem, and, and we wanna make more food out of the same resources. But when I say we've come to the limits of the planet, I actually think about climate crisis. So we are, heading right into a climate crisis in about a decade or so, which will evoke an uh, unstoppable chain of events that could be catastrophic to mankind. And to avoid this, we need to mitigate um, emissions dramatically. And food is right up there, right after energy, I think, and the, the technology transformation, transformation needed to make this happen without adversely affecting our way of life. Hmm. Yes, it's very interesting. Uh, you are a pioneering food tech startup company, right? In the field of cell-based foods. We what like, are you? We like to think so. Yeah. Uh, well, what are your challenges here? Um, challenges. Biggest well, challenges. challenges are, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> challenges are just uh, they're tremendous, but we are capable to for them as as, as humanity and not ourselves, of course, the company, but they are very challenging. The main ones are, uh, first of all, I'd say you have two processes or two major pillars in, in building cell-based meats. Mm -hmm. uh, so the one is a more of in the biological in nature. 
it is getting the biomass, which is fairly underhand by the industry by now, just just being able to to reproduce the cells needed. Now the problem became at what cost cost and at what scale? That's that's this generation of R&D's at where they're where it's at. So that's the and then the biological challenge of just getting enough material out of less, basically <laughs> getting more out of less. That's one thing. But once you do that, you, you still remain with a commercial a consume more consumer oriented problem, which is at this point, this food is nutritional, but you can't really call it food. <laughs> it's just a biomass. Um, so so it's like it's a material with no real shape, no real texture. So the second the second pillar I was referring to in the, in the beginning is food engineering. Now you need to take that raw material and make it in shape and texture and the way it behaves in cooking and in eating that it would be either the same or better or just like a good experience out of this food product. And that those are two completely separated, very big challenges. You could you could theoretically work on these in a completely separate companies and they're big both of them yes uh, I just remember my interview with Kanan Schneider like a te- uh, an investor Millennium Millennium, Millennium food, food tech. tech right he sure. said um, okay the challenge now okay I know plant-based meat everything fish eggs you know they're alternative but how much is the cost if you say okay this cost like little less then I would talk to you so that's a competition now so yes oh talk to us about the competition we're the only company in the world that is that have a circular method of production um, we are we retain the waste in the pr- process of making the cell-based material uh, we we retain the waste and we reuse it completely Um, without losing any water and any and any basically useful ingredients and the way we do that is by algae so there are some companies in the world using algae to create um, media ingredients media is the substrate needed for the growth of the cells the food if you'd like for the cells so that's very expensive and that's where the cost is coming from the cost problem so if you can recycle or upcycle that media you can save a lot of money. Uh, when I say a lot, I'm talking about a thousandfold or more. Hmm. So that's what our company is doing. But I was I was trying to separate uh, us from other, for example, algae companies. So algae companies that are have an expertise in creating algae for the use of media, um, you still need a source for growing that algae. What's special hmm. about us, and I think I, I still haven't heard any other company that does this, is that our source for culturing that algae is from the cell culture. So just to put it a little bit more, a little bit more orderly and simple, we grow, um, we go the cell culture. We take that cell culture waste. So any cell-based company have this. And that cell waste, we move on to a algae culture, which we further grow. And then we use that algae culture back again mm-hmm. as useful medium ingredients. This is the circular method that I was talking about. We call this cytoponics because it's similar to aquaponics from traditional aquaculture. So cellular aquaponics becomes cytoponics. 
<laughs> that's unique to us. Okay, so that's your killer feature, the circular method of production. <laughs> yes, okay, killer that... feature. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that one. That's our killer feature. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember um, Uri Takani. So from Product yeah. League. So he said, okay, every startup should have a killer feature. So for yours, it's the circular method of production. Okay, it, exactly. it really sounds truly sustainable and like scalable. So where are you now in your journey? Um, we are, well, first of all, we're the, another, we have a few firsts in the world. <laughs> we're very novel. Uh, so we're the first company in the world to really be, I think we're close or working on uh, getting a cell line out of, uh, of, out of marine mollusks. Specifically, we're working with scallops, as I've said, uh, but that's something that hasn't been done before. So that's something we're working on and is very thrilling, just working with these cultures of scallops. Uh, so we're culturing scallop cells of scallops right now, and we're also culturing a few different strains of microalgae. Um, all of them are in commercial use nowadays, so we know that if we find that right synergy between the scallop cells and the algae that we're working on, then we have a really great solution and, and it would surely be scalable because we've chosen just species that can scale, that have been shown to scale. Mm. Okay, I, I am curious. So, um, honestly, how did it taste? I mean, the I, I, can, I saw on your website the cultivated scallops, which really, really look so yummy, right? So, how does it taste? <laughs> yeah, well, the, no, it's a fair, fair and good question. I'm sorry to disappoint, but uh, that video is just like uh, generally available. It's, it's, not, it's not our own scallops. Oh um, yeah, we're not yet there. We've just uh, started uh, working in the lab in March. So in, in, again, I said that we started, we've managed to make R&D really, really fast. If you think of it, we're talking about uh, something like five, five months. Uh, and we are working with these cultures, but it will take a few more months until we get uh, to a scallop prototype. And, be, and we need enough biomass to work with. So we're working with our cultures to make enough biomass right now and only at that point we would be able to harvest some of that mass and create that first prototype for tastings that's really really exciting like i can see tell I'm me gonna... about it every day i wake <laughs> up and i'm like i'm i'm just dying to go yeah. to work and see what's going on under the microscope <laughs> yes oh rotem should be very very busy i cannot imagine how his life would i mean in the lab every day <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I saw like um, you're hiring uh, people. I mean, it's really scaling. And how, why is it a great place to work? Okay, as a CEO, why is Mermaid Seafood a great place to work? Well, you know, it's a cliche, but obviously, first of all, the people. Um, I think we're, you know, we're just, um, as a founding team, obviously any founding team want to get along real great. But I think that we really have this composition of a founding team, which is for lack of a better word, very friendly, very um, like human resources oriented. That's something that's very important to us. We, we've been talking about it a lot before we had our first hires, about like the culture of the company and how we want to treat each other and how we want to treat our employees. And we want everyone who comes to work to 
feel, you know, the way I feel, which is enthusiastic about the, I mean, it, it's, I really wanted to, to build a company and I think that's true to the other founders as well, to have that feeling. So it's easier when you're, um, you know, fulfilling yourself through building the company and making all the decisions. We want to bring that feeling to employees as well. You know, we are doing something very special to the world. So why shouldn't everyone working in, the, in our company feel that same way? And you know why? Just like the management of HR, that's why. So, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I do know that it's not an objective thing, whether they feel like that or not. It's something, it's a subjective experience that we need to work on through making sure our employees know what we're doing and why being able to um, comment and influence that decision process, liking the people that you work with, being able to mention if they don't like something. That's everything about the environment. And I think it's something in the core DNA of the founders to be thinking about these subjects. Mm, division. So everyone must be very excited to see that cultivated scallops every day at the lab under the microscope. <laughs> yeah. Are you yeah, yeah, all yeah. are you all vegans or uh, I mean um, meat lovers? What uh, what's the composition of your team? Yeah, Tomer, the CEO, is vegan. Uh, me and Rotem are flexitarians, and uh, and yeah, the the rest of the team are also kind of, I guess, just eat try to consume less, and you know go for the more sustainable options. Okay, so you're 32. And uh, you have two more co-founders, right? Okay. So talk to us about the founding team. Like, how do okay. you get along? What are your strengths? Uh, how do you right. complement each other? Oh, okay, great. Well, first of all, I have no background in biology. <laughs> so I'm very... Really? <laughs> I'll start with myself just because it's easier. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I did um, learn some uh, marine biology in my bachelor's, but that's not what the that that those studies were it wasn't like a main topic it's just something that you know i took with my general studies um so i i guess i learned everything i know about this i really learned because of being a naval officer more than more than an academic uh, so my my academic background is also almost exclusively to business administration with a few hints here and there for seafaring studies <laughs> uh and also obviously obviously my experience just in the sea but yeah, I come, I, um, I also am very, very curious. So I did kind of learn a lot, much before that job or regardless of the job, just love, I used to really love physics and biology. So I, I kind of have enough to get the basic, uh, uh, the basic sense. But yeah, I guess I bring, I think I bring a lot of clarity to the business here. Because then you just, I, I, whatever I don't really understand where it's getting to drilling down to that, you know, very hard, hard hardcore R&D stuff. I, I don't hear that clutter <laughs> and I just hear like, okay, what's the volume? What's the price? When are we going to do this? What are going to be the risks? You know, and for me, I think, you know, business is really a process that you apply on whatever subject you're doing. It's, it's the commercialization of knowledge or something like that. So, so for me, I think that works really great for my founders. And I think we also really enjoy translating things to each other. Like they might say something very complex in biology. So I'd ask for, I don't know, like an analogy 
from something simpler <laughs> and it's the same for them so let's say I, I think about a proposition from an investor and I try to explain them what's going to happen uh, so I again I need to put it in simpler terms so you know from talking about like anti-dilution with with investors I don't know whatever then what is that? <laughs> you know I need to, yeah exactly so I might even put it in like in some biological sense or something <laughs> I can imagine. And, and like, that, brings, oh. that actually brings clarity. No, I, I was like, yeah, but just to finish up, that really brings clarity to the to the decision makers or the board because there's always a, a simpler perspective to the same issue. Hmm. Again, I mean, I can remember the conversation with Kanan Schneider again. Like, okay, you don't really have to speak English. You just have to communicate clearly, right? Yeah. <laughs> and maybe... Focus and clarity. I mean, that's just, you know, it's so important. Management, I sometimes think it's it's almost exclusively focus and clarity. Um, because it's, 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 it's really, it's really, um, sorry, yeah, you... Am I, am I, is this too much? No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'm saying that uh, it's very, very clear if you look at it from the side. Uh, again, if, you, if when I'm in the room and we're talking about decision making in R&D, then focus and clarity is all there is because otherwise I wouldn't be able to understand and influence the decision process. And I assume that when you have um, a little bit worse communication in some certain company, then R&D just does whatever they do because there's no one, you know, giving some um, holding, holding it accountable just because you can't understand what's going on. So focus and clarity actually helps also R&D very much just to like explain it to a layman mm. that helps R&D make sure they know what they're doing. That it makes basic sense. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I, I got that. And uh, hmm, I I mean, I think you three really make a good team. Like the seriousness of Rotem, like, okay, this is the product, lab, microscope. And you, you're the business side, communication, investor relation, everything. <laughs> do, you also, sure. do you also hire? I mean, interview new hires? Are you the one doing that? Um, so our system is... Um... Usually, we start with the technical co-founders, the scientific side of the team. So we want to make sure, for me at least personally, I see professional skills as binary. So I, I trust my co-founders and I say like my part is making sure that this person is a good culture fit, that we didn't miss any red, red flags in maybe behavior, communication, group dynamics, alignment with the mission, stuff like that and, and but the first step to even thinking about um, getting ahead in uh, in hiring is making sure that that professional has the required skills and by the time it gets to me I ask the co-founders to just say like is it is it a one or a zero because I think you know hiring is difficult everybody knows especially the, the higher the expertise hiring becomes more and more difficult and so I think it would be hard to compare different professionals and like their professional capability. Maybe you have experience, which is objective, you know, how much experience they have, but it still doesn't completely translate to capability for the specific mission that you, task that you want them to perform. So I think that you, you want to make sure 
is this person person capable to do this work? And after that, then that where you really, it's more nuanced and you're trying to, you want to find out, but how motivated is that person to do that? Um, how coachable is that person? Can, can that person communicate uh, their challenges? Um, you know, maybe ego could be a problem for a lot of, especially with uh, experience. Mm. So stuff like that, I think are much more detrimental and are likely to cause a hire to go south than, than professional skill, which is something that also evolves inside the company. Especially if that person is good in all these other things, then they're willing to study, they're willing to ask, they're willing to ask for advice, they're communicative about their problems. All these could be solved. There is no one expert that is rare that you can get to that one expert, <laughs> which is just the best, you know, it doesn't really exist. What are your thoughts about diversity and inclusion? <laughs> yeah, great question. Thank you. For that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, that it's very, very important and that we that's something unique that gives me a lot of, I don't know, I guess like hopeful feeling that a good feeling in my stomach when I when I look at the food tech sector and I see that it's the most diverse sector um, as you know I didn't check the data I'm just saying that you get to a conference you see uh, women-led uh, co-founding team uh, you see women CEOs I get sometimes to conferences and, and realize that I'm the median age for CEOs you know I'm 32 <laughs> so like all age groups all over the world, all types of people, very different ideas. Uh, and also I see that not only in, I usually meet at those conferences, I meet the co-founders. So that's what I'm more exposed to. But, you know, the more I'm in this industry, I also meet employees of other companies and they're the same. And I think that the reasoning behind this is that um, this industry really calls, draws in people that are interested in in making the planet better and i think it's a combination of being able to think about the future which is something a little bit unnatural for us as, as humans i mean the further into the future no it's also it's a, it's in the future and it's bad <laughs> and those are things i mean you know generally like climate crisis could be a daunting thought and and the combination of these for most people makes them not want to think about it so a person who wants to think about the future is not afraid of the challenge and is thinking about us instead of myself because it's an us problem. That is a, that's starting to sound like a, a personality profile, you know, <laughs> and I think that's what we're seeing. Okay, so how many people are there in your team right now and what's the composition? Right now we're a team of five and we are hiring at least two more PhDs. So it's all males? besides me. Ah, we are the co-founding team. We are all males, unfortunately. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, we are, we are insisting on the uh, following hires that we hire women. That's something very important to us. And are you welcoming like for people who are into the mission, even if they're from other countries? Unfortunately, at this at this time, Never we enough. just can't because um, there are no remote roles, not even hybrid. So we're just working with people who can come to the office every day. Yeah, in front of the microscope. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Maybe okay. some startup could, uh, you know, somehow 
with robots in the office and someone's <laughs> controlling them remotely. Technology, <laughs> right? Nothing is impossible. Okay, yeah. so uh, what's one lesson you would like people to take away from this episode? Wow, I think there's not one way to get something right. Uh, there's there's so much different variables and and, and and depth to doing anything that's that's um, meaningful. So for example, building a company and that um, the core thing for me is making sure I'm, I'm comfortable with what I'm doing and I, and I like it and it's getting me excited. So I think as a maybe less experienced executive, even though I don't have that much experience, I do have some. And I, I've gained the insight that a lot of times I used to say to myself, I don't like this, but I have to. And I just stopped doing that. <laughs> and I don't acknowledge being have to do anything no more. And that translates also to being able to be more um, innovative, you know, because there's no real barrier. It's we just think that there's something that we, yeah. So I just stopped thinking like that. <laughs> That's my advice here. Oh, nice. Yes, mindset matters. So if you think you cannot do it, if you think you don't like it, then uh, I don't know, it will just happen. So, and yes, uh, good luck to you. All the best to Mermaid Thank Seafood. You. And we're gonna, yeah, look out for more. Thank you. Thank you very much. This podcast is powered by iomops.io. Optimize your cloud infrastructure and CICD process with iomops.io dedicated DevOps team. Check out www.iomops.io and get a DevOps team now.